You're listening to Pastor Ryan Couch as he teaches through the book of Philippians. If you have your Bibles with you, please open them there. Philippians chapter 2, uh, verses 19 through 30 uh, this morning. And uh, we're continuing to go uh, through the book of Philippians. If you're new here or a visitor here, uh, we teach through books of the Bible. On Wednesday nights, we're going through the Old Testament. And we're in a, in an exciting book in um, in Joshua. I'm really excited about Joshua. And if you want to come out on Wednesday nights, I know you'll be blessed. And then on Sundays, we go through the New Testament. And we're in the book of Philippians. And, and we're looking at that uh, just chapter by chapter and verse by verse. And really the theme of our series has been joy. And joy in the midst of our difficulties, in the midst of our uh, troubling circumstances. And this morning I want to look at joy in service and, and what a joy it is to serve the Lord and to serve other people. And we're going to look at two people, two men that Paul highlights for us as an example of really, if, if you back all the way up to verse 27 of chapter 1, when he says, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's really been the context of this whole section, and Paul has been giving us examples of people that are living their lives in conduct that is worthy of the gospel. And and he's talked about Jesus and how Jesus humbled himself, and he's talked about himself and and how that he had dedicated his life to serving the Lord. And and now he's going to talk about these two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, one who's probably familiar to you, a guy that, that Timothy, uh, you know, is, is pretty popular in the scriptures and, and mentioned a lot, a guy that we probably are familiar with, uh, a guy that Paul had raised up in ministry. But then this other guy, Epaphroditus, is a guy that maybe you haven't heard of. He's really only talked about here in Philippians, and he's kind of a behind-the-scenes guy. But two guys that really can speak volumes into our own lives and are a great example to us of living lives of service to the Lord. And so we're going to look at these two men. So let's look at Timothy, first of all, in verses 19 through 24. Let's read that and then we'll talk about his life. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state or I know your condition, know your affairs. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once, as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly." And so, first of all, we see that Paul trusts Timothy enough to, to send him to the Philippians. He, he trusts his character and, and his heart for people. And he wants to send them to the Philippians so that he can find out what's going on with them. Because you remember Paul, as he writes this letter, he's in a, a jail cell. Literally, he's in his own rented house, but he's chained to a prison guard 24 hours a day. And he wants to send Timothy, to find out what's going on with this church that he had planted there in Philippi some 11 years earlier. And he knows that he'll be encouraged when he hears about their state. He knows that 
they're doing well. He couldn't say that about every church. You remember when he wrote to the Corinthians? He wasn't so optimistic. It was kind of like, I don't even know if I want to hear about how you're doing because I'll probably be depressed. But with the Philippians, he was stoked to hear about how they were doing. And I would hope that, that our life would be one that would bring encouragement to people. That when people hear about how we're doing, they're encouraged. They're not discouraged. And he wants to send Timothy to them, and he gives us four reasons for that. Four reasons and four characteristics as to why Paul trusts Timothy enough to send him on behalf of himself to go and to check up on the Philippians and to minister to them. Four characteristics that I think ought to define and describe our lives, but sadly do not. Four characteristics. The first one is found in verse 20. He says, For I have no one who is like-minded. I have no one who is like-minded. Basically, this means to be unified. It means to have the same mind, the same <coughs> passions and pursuits, the same agenda. And this is really rare in life to find people who are like-minded. Because typically, in life, in, in your workplace, in your family, what you have is people that have their own agenda, who have their own mind, who, who want to do their own thing. And they, they're not unified with you. In fact, there's division because they, they want to make a name for themselves. And, and they don't want to submit uh, to your vision or to your leadership. Uh, they they want to do their own thing. And it, it's pervasive even in the church, sadly to say, that people uh, aren't humble. In fact, we're filled with pride. We're filled with ourselves. We're filled with, with our own way of doing things. And, and we're not going to be like-minded with anybody else because I'm a rebel. I'm a uh, lone ranger. I do things my own way and nobody tells me what to do. And, and Timothy wasn't that way at all. Timothy was like-minded with Paul. And man, when you find someone who is like-minded, who will join with you and will take your idea and implement it, take your idea and run with it, that kind of person is a gem. Normally people, well, I mean, if it was my idea, then I would be excited about it. But I'm really not excited about it because it wasn't my idea. It wasn't my thing. And there's not unity there. And, and what we learned in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, remember that study, is that unity is born out of humility. And the reason that we don't have unity and that we do have division in the church, in the society in which we live, in our families, in relationships, the bottom line is because we're filled with pride. Because we're not humble. And where there's a lack of humility, there's a lack of unity. And where there's an, the presence of pride, there is the presence of division. But with Paul and Timothy, there was unity because Timothy was willing to say, Paul, I'm submitting myself to you. This is your vision. This is your ministry. How can I help you? How can I come alongside of you? And you know what? That's really rare. It's really rare to find people like that. Not only in the church, but in business, in our culture, 
in our families, because we're people of pride. And God wants to humble us, and God wants for us to be unified with those around us, to be able to take someone else's idea and help them to implement it, to, to, to make someone else look good. Now, that was the kind of, of role that Timothy had. And Timothy was, was a really unique guy and, and really rare to find as we look at these characteristics. Another characteristic of Timothy is found at the end of verse 20, as he says, who will sincerely care for your state. And so not only was Timothy unified with Paul, but Timothy cared about people. And as rare as unity and humility is, this characteristic might even be more rare. The characteristic of caring about people. Because you know what? We live in a culture and we were raised in a society that says, look out for number one. Care about yourself. Care about your life. And just worry about how things affect you, but don't really concern yourself with how things affect other people. And that's why, you know, you can have somebody who's having a heart attack in the middle of the street or somebody who's being mugged or raped in the middle of the street and people just walk right by them. You ever seen those shows on TV where they're like videoing uh, these, these crazy things that happen? And, and here's somebody who is literally being killed right in the middle of the street and people will just walk right over them. Walk right around them. Somebody is dying in the street and, and we'll just step right over them. Hopefully that wouldn't be us, but that is people. It happens all of the time. Heard a, a story about a guy who basically had to cut his arm off in, in a, uh, an accident that he was in. He, his arm got stuck in a tractor and this implement, he had to cut it off with a pocket knife. And then he had to, with his own weight, snap the bone off. And he's running through the field and he finally gets out to the road and he's bleeding to death. And literally cars are like swerving around him. Nobody will stop. And that's the kind of mindset we have because people don't want to bother with it. They don't want to have that kind of responsibility. If I get involved, then I might be culpable for this. I, I might have to you know, go to court and I might be responsible and maybe I would get sued or what if I couldn't help the person? Then I would have to live with myself and, and all of this selfishness that pervades our thinking that, that we don't even want to help other people and yet Timothy cared about others. He sincerely cared about people. And you know what? As a, as a church, as people that say we have dedicated our life to following Jesus Christ. That ought to be a pervading characteristic of the church. And yet it really isn't. Because if it were, we wouldn't have enough seats for people. We couldn't build a building big enough to house the people if we really, truly cared about people. You see, we really don't. Because we'll ask people, hey, how are you doing? But in reality, we don't want to hear the answer. You know what I'm saying? We ask them, how are you doing? But we're hoping, we're, we're, we're really hoping that all they're going to say is just fine. And it's when they start to say, well, not very good. 
that all of a sudden we think, oh, dear Lord, are you going to just like dump all kinds of stuff on me? Because you know what? Like, number one, I don't have time for this. Number two, I don't want to hear it, you know? And it's kind of like that commercial. I think it was a Budweiser commercial where, where the guy, you know, was like they were, he was hanging out with, with his friends and he would give them way too much information. And finally they just started like dumping him off early because they didn't want to deal with him. And it's TMI, right? Too much information. I don't want to deal with that. And so we see people at church, hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And it's just this sort of plastic, fake, religious thing and, and it's not real, but what people are longing for and what people really want is authenticity and, and something real that they can sink their teeth into and that they can say, you know what? Those people really do care about me. They, they truly care about how I'm doing. And when I say, you know what? I'm not doing so well. They don't act all awkward and weird and start to backpedal and they, they, they truly want to listen and, and they, they ask and they, they pray for me. That's the kind of church that I hope that we are, that I would say that we can improve in, that I think that maybe we, we do a little better than, than maybe what would be standard, but I know that we have room for improvement. And in our own lives, do we care about people? Do we care about people more than we care about ourselves? Or is it just all about us? When people begin to, to tell us how they're doing and maybe they have exciting news, do we feel the need to trump their news with our own story? That's pretty typical, isn't it? People have an exciting story and, oh yeah, well that's nothing compared to this. And then we just totally marginalize them and we totally let the air out of their balloon with our own story. Or they'll be like, you know what, I've been really sick or I'm not doing so well or my kids aren't doing so well. Oh, well, dude, just deal with it, man. You don't even know what I've gone through. And then we begin to list all kinds of stuff that we've gone through. And they walk away just discouraged. They walk away going, you know what, I don't care about me. All they care about is themselves. They just insert themselves into every conversation. And if you're that kind of person that feels the need to insert yourself in every conversation that you have and feels the need to trump other people's story and feels the need to marginalize and to minimalize people with your own stories, man, you need to repent of that. Because what it does is it makes you the center of attention. And then we wonder, why don't I have any friends? Well, go back to childhood. Remember when your parents said, if you want to have a friend, you got to be a friend. Well, it's not rocket science, but we haven't figured it out yet. Because the people that we really like, think about this for a second. The people that you really like, they're people that take an interest in you. And the people that you don't like, they're the people that don't take an interest in you and aren't that nice. And see, we come up with all kinds of really complicated reasons why we don't like people. Here's the bottom line. Because they don't like you. If they liked you and they took a super interest in you, you'd be like, oh man, that guy's the greatest guy in the world. Or, oh, she is so awesome. You just wouldn't believe how great she is. Why? Because she liked you. But if they don't like you, then I don't like them. It's just the bottom line. And if you want to have friends, here's the thing. Take an interest in them. Care about them. 
Well, I don't really know how to do that. I mean, I'm not a people person. Guess what? Either was Timothy. Remember Timothy? He was timid. Paul had to constantly tell him, hey, stir up the gift in your life and don't be such an introvert. Be an evangelist. Get out there. He wasn't like the life of the party kind of guy. Maybe you're not that way either. And nobody's asking you to be that way, but you can care about one person at a time. And you can take a genuine concern for their life. And it's not complicated. Figure out what they like. If they have kids, take an interest in their kids. And all of a sudden, you'll be their best friend. It's not hard. Ask them about their kids. Ask them about their grandkids. If they have a hobby, take an interest in their hobby. It, it, again, it's, it's not really difficult. Caring about other people. That was Timothy. He sincerely cared about them. And that word sincerely, I think, is important. Because have you ever met those kind of people that give you the idea that they care about you, but you know it's totally phony? It's like they're trying to sell you something. And you know what? I think the church is totally guilty of that. The church is totally guilty of that because we always have like this salesman mentality with the gospel. I'm going to sell you something and hopefully you're going to buy into this and become a part of my church and and, and I'm going to get to to put some notches in my belt and, and people just pick up on that right away. That you've got an agenda. That you really don't want to be my friend. That you really don't care about me. What you want to do is sell me something. And it's no different than a vacuum salesman or or, you know, any other kind of salesman. We just think, man, I don't want anything else. I don't want to be sold religion. And so if you want to take an interest in people, truly take an interest in them with no strings attached and no agenda, not to try to sell them on something. And, and I think we as a church, all of us, the, the, the whole church, we're very guilty of that. And we truly need to take concern for people, sincerely, not plastic, not phony, not a, a smile that they can just see right through, but a total, sincere concern for people. Well, a third characteristic about Timothy is found in verse 21, and that's, that is that he sought the will of God above all else. It says, for all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. And so Paul just kind of describes the pervading mentality amongst us that we seek our own and not the things of Christ. Most people do not care about others. All they do is care about themselves and their own life and not the things which are of the Lord. And I think if we take an honest evaluation of our own life, we would recognize that that's really true. That we really don't care about other people that much. And we really don't care about the things of God that much. Really what we care about is our own life and our own stuff. And we make all kinds of excuses. Well, I'm just too busy right now. I don't have the time to serve the Lord. I don't have the time to put the will of God above all else. See, but here's the thing. Your life, my life, has been bought with a price. The Bible says our lives are not our own. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you don't have time. You're on borrowed time. His time is your time. 
And so when you say, I don't have time for that, really what you're saying is, Lord, I am stealing and robbing your time to do my own thing. I know that you came to this earth and you died in my place and you bought my life and you purchased my life and my life is not my own. But Lord, I really have no interest in using my time for you. I, I, I just want to spend it completely on myself. And see, we all have time because we're eternal in nature. We've been created eternally. And so that's one thing that we've got a lot of is time. We're going to be here for a long time. And this life that you're living right now is not your own. And so the only thing that you can take with you is other people. That's the only thing that we can take with us. You can't take your money. You can't take your cars. You can't take your house. You can't take anything else but people. And so what's the greatest investment that we can ever make is people. Investing in people. Now, there's nothing wrong with investing in stocks or 401ks or making some kind of a a nest egg for yourself. There's nothing wrong with that. But here's the thing. If that is the the grand plan of your life, if if that's the only thing you're investing in, you're really missing out on the greatest investment, which is other people. And so to say, I don't have time, basically what you're saying is, the time that I do have, the time that's been given to me by the Lord, I, I don't care to use that for the things of God. I would rather use it for my own self. That's really what we're saying. And we have to be honest. It's time that we're honest. Because for too long, we've just kind of begun to be really good at you, you know, masquerading our lives in Christian facades. We, we're, we're very good at, oh, I don't have time for that. I'm just, I'm too busy with this and this, and I've got my kids, and my kids are little, and oh, oh I'm, I'm too busy for that. My kids are, are teens now, and they're busy, and they've got sports, and they've got this, and oh, I don't have time for that. My kids are in college, and we're helping them with that and getting that going. Oh, I don't have time for that anymore. I'm re, you know, we're retired, and now we're in the RV, and we're hitting the streets, and, you know, and it's just one thing after the other. It's always something. You'll never have time if it's not a priority. And see, we always make time to do what we want to do. You ever notice that? I mean, we'll jump through all kinds of hoops to make that hunting trip happen. We're on the phone with the clients, and can we reschedule this meeting, and can I do this then, and we're on the phone with our boss and begging him for the time off and, and, you know, twisting and manipulating all of our schedules and making it work and and, and that's for a hunting trip or a fishing trip or to go shopping, you know, the day after Thanksgiving or, or whatever. You know, we, we have time for all those things. Whatever we want to do, we make time for it. And man, we're really good at, at making time for stuff. But hey, do you want to come down and, and help, you know, work on the church? Oh, I, brother, I don't have time for that. You know, we would never manipulate our schedule to make that work. Hey, do you want to do you want to go on that mission trip? No, I don't have time for that. But, you know, we'll use our vacation time for everything else. There's no problem ever to go hunting or to go fishing or to go shopping or to go on vacation or to travel. We we have no problem doing that, but when it's things of the Lord, all of a sudden we're very very good at making excuses and and let's just be honest. 
Let's just say next time, I have no interest in serving Jesus. I want to serve myself. Let's just be honest. Let's just get it out there and, and be, what, be who we are. Just say what it is. I don't want to serve God. I'd rather serve myself. And be, be honest with things. Uh, another thing I, I think that we're really good at is uh, making excuses uh, about our money. Oh, I don't have any money. Well, let's, let's think about this for a second. The, Timothy was a guy who sought the will of God above all else. Not the things of his own life, but the things of Jesus. That, that was Timothy. And, and so his time, his money was the Lord's. But we'll often say, I don't have money for that. Look, we don't live in a third world country. None of us are starving to death. And so it isn't that we don't have money. It's that we're choosing to use our money for things that we want to use them on. That's the bottom line. Now, of course, all of us have bills. All of us have families to support. None of us can give all of our money away. We all have needs and we all have to to provide. But we all have extra money. It's just how we choose to use it. You know, uh, guys will go out and, and they'll buy themselves a new rifle or they'll buy themselves all kinds of fishing equipment that's going to end up, you know, snagged on a limb underneath the, the water somewhere, you know. Or, or ladies will, will go out and, and they'll shop and, and they'll buy stuff that they don't really need. And hey, I'm as guilty as anybody. And, and I'm not saying that I'm necessarily even convicted about it most of the time. I've got stuff that I probably will never use. I, I like to shop. I'm kind of a, a chick in some ways. I like clothes. <laughs> and so I've got like, I got a lot of shirts hanging in my closet. I can only wear one at a time. I'm not really convicted about that. But when it comes to, hey, could you help with this particular thing? And I say, I don't have the money. Or I tell my wife, I don't have the money. Let's stop right there. And let's say to ourselves, no, that isn't true. What is true is I don't care to use my money for that thing. Because I'd rather spend it on myself. I don't care to spend my money on the things of God. I'd rather spend it on myself. And be honest. Quit the facade. Quit the masquerade. Let's just be real honest with things. Because most of us if not all of us, are, we're not really going without. We, we have uh, more than we need, and we choose to spend things, spend our money on things that is our own choice. And when we have opportunities, let's not make excuses. Let's just be honest. And maybe that would motivate us to begin to, to really serve and, and to give. The same would be with our talents. People say, well, I don't really have any talents. Well, the Bible says you do. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and chapter 14 that every believer is given a gift. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 10, every believer has a gift, something to offer. And so if we're not using our gifts in service to the Lord, it's not because we don't have them, it's because we're choosing to use them on our own selfishness. So we have to be honest once again. It's not that I don't have a gift, it's that I'm choosing to use it for what makes me happy instead of in service to the Lord. Bottom line. 
But as we look at the life of Timothy, he sought the things of God, not him, his own self. You guys, as we learned in, in chapter 1, that to live is Christ and to die is gain. That is, that is our life, is to live for Jesus Christ. And too often, we're living for ourselves. And, and we've, we've been able to, to kind of get by with that for a while. We've been able to, to survive in that kind of existence in following Jesus. But you know what? I think it's time that that change. I think it's time that we begin to have some authenticity about our life. That people can look at our life and say, you know what? It's not religion. It's not a suit and a tie and a, and a Bible. There's, there's something authentic about that guy. There, there's something real about that girl. I want that for myself. And when that would begin to happen again, we couldn't build a building big enough to house all the people that would be radically impacted in this community. But what do they see? What they see for far too long is people that make excuses People that don't care about anybody but themselves and they don't see anything different in our lives that they see in their own life. And they think, I don't need that. I really don't need that. Why do I want to go and spend my time down there at that church and listen to that fat bald guy tell me stuff that I don't need to hear? I don't care about that. I don't care about what he has to say. He's got nothing to tell me. Why do I want to give my money to that place? Why do I want to give my time to that place? Why do I want to give my life to some God that doesn't seem to have any impact on anybody's life? But when we begin to live authentic lives in front of people, man, it will revolutionize this community. It will revolutionize your families. We'll quit losing our kids to the devil after they get out of high school. We'll quit losing our families to our own hypocrisy. When we begin to get real and quit seeking our own selfish ambition and seek the things of God. Another thing about Timothy is that he had demonstrable character in the service of the gospel. Look at verse 22. But you know his proven character. His proven character. Something that was demonstrative. Something that they could look at and go, you know what? This is real. This is true. There's something absolutely authentic about this guy. And he served in the gospel with me as a son with his father. It was demonstrable. And you know what, you guys? That's what I want for this church. More than anything else, if our church never grows beyond what it is, then that's fine. If we don't add another staff member beyond what we have, then, then praise the Lord. If we don't build any bigger building than, than what we have, then, then that's great. What I want is a group of people who live authentic lives, demonstrable character in this community. 
that people could look at us and say, you know what, those people down at Calvary Chapel, I don't know what's going on, but there's something real about that. And, and, and when you walk in the doors, people care about you, and they take a concern for your life, and it's not fake, and it's not phony. And man, you can't sit there and listen to a message and not be arrested in your spirit. You can't sit there and, and just walk away and, and, and go out to lunch and, and then go home and mow your lawn and never be changed. And for too long in church, that's what we've done. We dress up, we go, you know, some of us do. I, but we get down to church, we sing a couple songs, yeah, 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 we drop a few bucks in the box, and we, we talk to people that we really don't care about, we listen to the guy talk, and we don't even listen to him, and we walk away, and we're not even changed one bit. And that, you guys is a joke. It's a joke. That's not Christianity. That's a club. And we have no interest in being a club. We have no interest in just saying things that people like to hear so that we can fill up the building, so that we can fill up the tithe box. That's not what we're about. We want to live radical Christian lives. And you know what? Some people don't like that. Some people aren't about that. But that's what Jesus said. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Death to self. Jesus didn't say, hey, uh, buy some nice clothes. Go to a nice fancy church that is like popular and everybody wants to be a part of. And, and go there and join the club and you know do your thing and leave church every week unchanged. That's not Christianity. That's not what we want to have in our church. We want to have authentic, real change and transformation. So that when you leave here, you can't come again unless you're going to resolve in your heart and in your mind that I want to be a real follower of Jesus. Otherwise, you say, I can't handle it. I mean... I can't handle what's going on because it's too real, it's too in your face, and, and I, I just don't want that. I want phony and fake. I want to be able to make excuses and not be called on it. And, and, and you know what? I'm not indicting anybody. I'm just saying what we want to do as a church, what we want to be. That when you come, the Spirit of God so grips your heart that you can't walk out and forget what was said. You absolutely can't. Now, we're going to forget a lot of stuff. You, you know, our minds can only remember like 10%. But the gist of it, the gist of the message changes your life. It makes you want to serve God. That's what we want to do. You guys, we have a community, a small community, but a community, 25,000 people in Crook County. Less than 10% of those are actively involved in a church, which doesn't mean that there aren't more Christians than that, but it does mean that there's a lot of people, a lot of people, 20 plus thousand people in our community right here within a half an hour who need Jesus desperately need Jesus. And you know what they're looking for? They're looking for something real. 
They're not looking for a salesman. They're not looking for someone who just wants to get them in the door of their church. They're looking for someone who will take a genuine care about them and that genuinely care about each other. So when they walk in the doors, they see that we care about one another. And that when someone says, you know what? Man, I'm not feeling that good. I'm, I'm, I'm ill. And you pray for them. Or when someone says, you know what? I'm not doing very well financially. They, they can't even describe the amount of love that they're shown as people hand them money as people come alongside their need. When, when someone has a baby, they're there to make meals. When someone is not doing well and, and they maybe have a surgery, they're there and they're mowing their lawn and they're, they're cleaning their house and they're ministering to them, showing love in very practical ways. And they're serving the body. And in, in they're... We don't have to beg for, for teachers. We don't have to beg for people to work in the nursery. We don't have to beg for someone to help Mike clean. Because we want to serve. We, we want to we, we demonstrate what Jesus has done for us. You guys, we see that in the life of Timothy. Sadly, I don't see that in my own life. I want to. I want to be more like this. I, I, want to, I want to have authenticity about my life. I don't want to be selfish. I don't want to be filled with pride. It takes the Spirit of God to bring us to our knees. It takes the Spirit of God to root these things out of us. It, it takes no longer wanting to go through the motions. No longer being interested in playing church. We'll close with Epaphroditus, verses 25 through 30. It says, Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier. And so Paul describes him as his brother in the Lord, a fellow worker, a, a fellow servant, and also a fellow soldier, which would speak of the fact that Epaphroditus was on the front lines. He had stepped up to serve the Lord. And, and when you do that, you guys, when we step up to serve the Lord in real ways, you can guarantee that it's not going to be easy. You're going to be attacked. You're going to be hammered. It, it's not always easy. It's, it's a life of, of sacrifice. That's why Paul said in, in Romans chapter 12 that we're, we're called to be a living sacrifice. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound real comfortable. A living sacrifice. It's perpetual giving of yourself. Perpetual death. God's not interested in a dead sacrifice. That's the easy thing to do. That, that's preferable. Go get a, a lamb or a cow, you know, kill it, put it on the altar, burn it up. That's easy. But how about we begin to crawl on the altar and we say, Lord, as Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, here I am, send me. Every person in the Bible who had a true experience with God, that was 
there was some variation of that phrase. Lord, here I am. Send me. Paul said, God, Jesus, what do you want to do with me? Where do you want me to go? I'm yours. I don't hear a lot of that in the church today. I hear a lot of, I don't have time. I don't have the money. I don't have the skills. I hear a lot of me, me, me. Instead of, Lord, what do you want from me? Where do you want me to go? You want me to go on that mission trip? I'm there. You want me to serve? I'm there. You want me to give? I'll do it. He was a brother, a worker, and a fellow soldier. That ought to describe us. But he was also a messenger and the one who ministered to my need. And so this was the guy that the Philippians sent to Paul to let Paul know how things were going because Paul planted this church. And now he's under house arrest and they'd heard about that and they wanted Paul to know how they were doing and how the church was going. And so they sent Epaphroditus as a messenger. And Paul was ministered to by Epaphroditus. That word means to serve. Epaphroditus served Paul. He didn't come there to be served, but to serve, to minister to him. But now Paul is saying, you know what? I'm going to send him back to you. It's time for me to send him back because you need him. He's valuable to you. And he was longing for you all. Paphroditus had a heart for people as well. He was longing for them. And he was distressed because you heard that he was sick. Now, I don't know about you, but that phrase, that's rare. He was concerned because he heard that they heard he was sick. Normally, we're concerned that people don't know we're sick. We want everybody to know we're sick. In fact, I'm as guilty as anybody. I wanted people to know I was sick. Do you know how sick I am? I am like ready to die here. I, mean, I hope that you understand how sick I am so that you can at least have some pity for me. Andrea, do you know how sick I am over here? Are you aware that I'm about to die? <laughs> Moaning and groaning and, you know... But not Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was distressed because he heard that they heard he was sick. Man, that's humility. He didn't want people to know. He didn't want them to worry about him. For indeed, verse 27, he was sick almost to death. Now, you know that back then it didn't take a lot. The, the illness I had last week would have killed me. If I was, you know, alive back then. I'm almost certain that I would have died eventually. (laughs) And, you know, even a hundred years ago, it didn't take much. That's why people lived to be like 35. It was a life expectancy. I mean, if you got a cold, you better worry. And, you know, oftentimes people say, how come God doesn't heal everybody today? And, well... I think God has used doctors and, and medical uh, advancement as part of the gifts of healings. You think about the fact that, you know, I had this, this pretty 
serious infection that probably would have killed me a hundred years ago. And I finally got some antibiotics and, and it just went away like that. And that's because scientists and people who are super smart sat up all night long in labs and figured stuff out. And God gave them the wisdom. You know it's God's wisdom that gives a doctor the ability to cut your chest open, take your heart, set it on the table, do a couple things to it, put it back, and it works. It's like, what? You know, I lost my eye when I was 17 years old. They did all kinds of stuff to my eye. They had my eye outside my head. They, they put all kinds of cuts in it, drained the fluid out of it, put a rubber band around it, sucked the fluid out of it. I mean, it was unreal what they did to my eye. All while I'm like in la-la land somewhere. Of course, it didn't work and I'm still blind, but, you know, they, they, they tried. And, and a lot of times it does work for people. And so the gifts of healings, I think we need to have a, a broader understanding of what that means. You know, and, and frankly, we don't have to depend on God as much, and, and that's a problem. But you go over to third world countries, and all of a sudden a cavity is a big deal. And they're praying, and God heals them. And so Epaphroditus was sick almost unto death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. And, and so Paul was saying, you know, if Epaphroditus had died, it would have been a real bummer to me, and I would have had to live with that. And so I'm glad that God healed him, because it was merciful for me as well. Therefore, I sent him the more eagerly, that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem. Because for the work of Christ, he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. Verse 28, he says, therefore, I sent him. And you know what, you guys? We are commissioned. We are being sent into this community, into your workplaces, into your business, into your school, into your families, you're being sent. Jesus said to the disciples in John chapter 20, as I was sent, so I am sending you. Jesus was the first missionary. He denied himself, his divine privileges. He came, he took on human flesh. He walked among us as a missionary. Now he's called you and I to be missionaries. This is our mission. We're on a mission trip. You don't have to go to Mexico. You don't have to go to Europe. You don't have to go to Russia. You don't have to go to Asia. You're on a mission trip. When you leave these doors, you're in missions. And you're being sent. And God is commissioning you. And the key is that you would not regard your life, but that you would supply what is lacking in, in the lives of others. Paphroditus was able to minister to Paul in ways the Philippians weren't able to because of the distance. God has given you and I a calling to serve people. Joy and service. But too often, our mindset is like my daughter Caitlin's, who the other day when asked, by my wife to do something for her, said, 
I'm not your servant. And you're not the queen of everything. Now, if you know my daughter, she's five years old, and she's pretty smart, and she's pretty sassy, and it, it angered my wife, and it hurt my wife. Because you know as a mom, all you do is serve your kids. That's all you do. Your life is laid at your kids' feet for them. That's all she's ever done is serve Caitlin. I'm not your servant, and you're not the queen of everything. And you know what? That's kind of the mindset that we have, isn't it? We, we basically say the same thing to the Lord. God, I'm not your servant. You're not the king of everything. And, and the Lord lovingly and gently just puts up with us. I sat Caitlin down and I said, you know, that was really hurtful to your mom. You know, she serves you all the time. And... And I said, look, this, this is your get-out-of-jail-free card. Because I'm going to talk to you about it. And I'm going to explain to you and I'm going to teach you about being a servant. But next time, we're not going to talk. Next time, you won't be able to sit down. Because you'll be in some big trouble if you talk to your mom that way again. You know what? I think the Lord is, is probably spanking some of us. Some of us are, are being taken to the woodshed because we have that same mentality. I'm not your servant. You're not the king of everything. And God says, yeah, I am, actually. I'm going to show you that I am. So let's stand and pray together, and, and let's ask the Lord to make these things true in our own life. You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Prineville, Oregon. For more information on Calvary Chapel of Crook County, you may email us at info at calvarycrookcounty.com. Or if you would like to write to us, you may do so at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon 97754. Thank you for listening and God bless.